What's going on, everybody? This is Randall Barnes, the host of Pulse Radio, and I want to talk about Groovy Wear. All right, so Groovy Wear is an Atlanta-based online brand. It's 100% Black-owned, and it's owned by an HBCU student, my guy Siani Boyd, who was my roommate back at Fort Valley State University. Hey! <laughs> Listen, Fort Valley doing big things, making it happen. Siani and also Janie Boyd, they're doing their thing with Groovy Wear, and it stands for Greatness, Relentless, Valiant, and Youthful. They have a lot of amazing clothes. They have amazing sneakers, and you need to tap in with them. And he is our first business that we're going to be spotlighting in the Secure the Bag Student Entrepreneur Spotlight. So make sure to tap in with us on Wednesday, August the 11th at 8 p.m. on HBC Pulse Instagram Live to learn more about Groovy Wear. And make sure to tap in with them at GroovyWear.com. You're listening to Pulse Radio with Randall and Shelby, the heart of the culture. What's going on, everybody? This is Randall Barnes, the host of Pulse Radio in the building for a special edition of our show on today. We are live on HBCU Pulse Instagram Live. Thank you, everyone, for watching that's watching live with us and also everyone that's going to be listening to this interview on today. So, Really dope. First and foremost, have to give a special shout out to everyone that has been interacting with the content on Pulse Radio and also on HBCU Pulse. Tell me why my video on Shakari Richardson and her possibly placing in the 100 meter race at the Olympics has 214,000 views. Like, what? What? Thank you to people that watched it, but don't get it twisted. A lot of folks were on my head. They were on me. I'm, I'm a wanted man out here in these streets. All right. So don't get it twisted. It wasn't just all positive, but I definitely appreciate that love. I never would have thought that anything that me speaking like would be like the most viewed video in, in post history, man. I, I never would have imagined that. Uh, but today we're going to be doing a really big interview. Uh, we have uh, the midterms coming up. So you have a lot of, you know, the sentence seats are coming up. In, in the in the Senate, you have, you know, congressional seats that are going to be coming up. And, you know, we have gubernatorial races that are happening. Of course, we already know how it was here in Georgia. I'm in Macon, Georgia right now. You had Stacey Abrams that came so close to being the first black female governor. Brian Kemp snatched that from her, stole it from her. That was my first time actually voting for a, a gubernatorial candidate. So now ever since then, we have a lot of black women, so many amazing black women that are ready to make a change in America. And one of them is Senator Mia McLeod. So she is a South Carolina senator and she's running to be the governor of South Carolina. And she's going to be running against incumbent governor Henry McMaster. And he ain't doing what he needs to do. All right. And <laughs> Ms. McLeod has no problem saying that. She's not doing now. He's not doing what he needs to do. And Miss McLeod is saying that she's going to do better by the citizens of South Carolina. We have eight HBCUs that are in South Carolina. I want to go on and name them and give them a shout out before we get going. So we have Benedict College, Claflin University, South Carolina State University, Allen University, Voorhees College, Morris College, Denmark Technical College, and Clinton College. So eight HBCUs in the state of South Carolina. So this gubernatorial race is important. And also, remember, we have COVID going on. It's a surge of COVID. The Delta variant, they got Delta Plus. I guess the streaming service now. So these midterm elections are important. 
Uh, Miss McLeod, Senator McLeod, will be campaigning for the Democratic primary in 2022, June 2022. But still, we want to have the opportunity to speak with her so we can get questions off and everyone can have a better understanding of how the of how the, these campaigns come together. And also HBCU students can interact and communicate with hopefully the first black female governor in America. All right. So let's go on and bring Maya on. We have Maya Schofield, who is Miss Benedict College, a queen in South Carolina. And she's also a queen series ambassador that's going to be coming on and joining me and a future mayor of Atlanta. So let's go on and bring her on right now. They're going to bring in Miss McLeod. From the shade room to your news feed, we brag different. You're locked into HBCU Pulse, now trending worldwide. First and foremost, we want to thank you for coming on on this Sunday evening. And, you know, I think this conversation that we're going to have, especially this early in your campaign, is super important as we have, you know, COVID raging and we have so much going on in the world. But before we get into the political aspect of things, I want Maya, who is Miss Benedict College in South Carolina, and she's also an AKA, she's your sorority sister, and she's a future politician. I want her to start off asking you a couple questions. Sure. Hi, Senator McLeod. I am Maya Sofil. I am a senior major in business administration here at Benedict College, and I humbly serve as a sophisticated 79th in Miss Benedict College. Before we start, I want to get, um, let's get the people knowing who you are and your background. So can you pretty much give us an in-depth um, detail as far as your college journey at um, University of South Carolina, which is only maybe less than 10 minutes from Benedict College here in Columbia, South Carolina? Right. Yes, I can, Zara. Um, I came to the University of South Carolina in the late 80s from Bennettsville, South Carolina. I was born and raised mm-hmm. in Bennettsville. Um, and when I came to USC, it was like coming to a big city. Uh, and it was simply, you know, a, a, a college campus. But it was right. it was big city uh, for me coming from Bennettsville. And one of the reasons that that is so key, even in, especially in this race, is because as our rural, <laughs> underserved communities like mine, like my hometown, Marlboro County, Bennettsville, South Carolina, are, um, you know, the they are indicative or reflective of the true state of our state um, under Henry McMaster's leadership and under all of the Republican leaders for decades. We've been under a one party rule uh, and our small rural communities like mine have just been overlooked, forgotten, and neglected. And we've got to change that. When I came to Carolina, um, I discovered a lot of things. One was that um, I, I had sickle cell anemia and I was not diagnosed until I came to college. And even as a child, when I was sick, I'm blessed because I have a milder form of it. So I'm not sick as, as much as most people who suffer with sickle cell, but I have been sick quite a bit um, from it and had a hospital in Bennettsville, had a doctor in Bennettsville, um, but I wasn't diagnosed. They didn't, they couldn't, you know, diagnose what was going on with me until I came to college. Mm-hmm. And I came here not knowing a whole lot, not knowing anything about politics. Um, but I, um, you know, I started as a page in the South Carolina House 
Uh, and I understood at that time that my great great grandfather, who was president of Allen University in the late 1800s, um, was also appointed to serve in the South Carolina legislature. And during, you know, during that time, and that was such a big deal for my family. My dad was the family historian, so I learned a lot from him before he passed away in 2011. I also learned a lot from Majeska Simpkins um, because when he came to pick me up from school or bring me back to school, he, we would always stop by Miss Majeska's house. And I, you know, her, I remember them talking about the struggles that uh, black people were dealing with even then. I mean, from, we're talking healthcare, education, the same fights, the, the exact same fights that we are struggling and grappling with even now in 2021, um, I had no idea as a kid back then, a college kid back then, that her fights would one day become my fights. Um, and that, in a nutshell, is why I'm running. I mean, for too long, we've lived in a state where all of us, I mean, you shouldn't have to be somebody. You shouldn't have to know somebody to be somebody who matters in this state. And until that changes, we, we can't move forward until we address the systemic ills and the, the, the reforms and the, the, the things that we know we have to change comprehensively. We're not going to be able to uh, really move forward, not as a people and, and not as a state. And so I'm committed to that. I have two sons uh, that I love more than life. And to think that they don't have a state that they can be proud of or that they can feel like they're part of um, mm -hmm. is, is really disheartening for me. And I know that we will continue to lose our best and brightest, like my sons, like you guys, um, to other states where the opportunities are greater, where the pay is better, where the quality of life is, is you know, what they're looking for and what they deserve. I mean, we're gonna continue to lose folks. We're, we're not just losing teachers and nurses. We're losing our best and brightest, um, you know, who could make so many major meaningful contributions to the state. We're losing them to other states. Mm. Um, Sora McLeod, you really just said in that, that your response to my question. And I think more so I want to touch on the fact that the idea of the idea of you're losing your best and your brightest people that are next to come if we do not um resolve these issues as far as healthcare and education. And even, I think it was super important. I didn't even know this, that you had a family member that happened to be the president of Allen University. Um, so that's, that's just great facts as well as just know, know that, you know, you're, you're included within that HBCU family because I am. you, your family member was one of us or still is one of us. In a fact. Absolutely. And, and what you also may not know about me is that my parents, um, went to HBCUs. I didn't, wow. but they did. My mom mm -hmm. went to North, my mom and dad went to North Carolina Central, and then my dad went, transferred to A&T. Um, my aunt went to A&T, my dad's sister. My, um, my um, uncle went to Hampton, mm -hmm. and uh, my sister went to South Carolina State. So, oh, wow. you know, yeah, I am, I am always, um, cognizant of the challenges that our HBCUs face. As a matter of fact, before I ran for office uh, mm -hmm. and started serving in the House, I represented all of the all of the uh, private 
HBCU, four-year uh, HBCUs in South Carolina, Allen, Benedict, Claflin, Morris, and Voorhees. And they Benedict. formed an association uh, mm -hmm. that was an alliance, basically, to go after some of the education lottery money. And so I was really proud of that because we got okay. millions of dollars for all of our private four-year institutions, HBCUs, that is, um, so that they could do uh, a lot of the a, a lot of the things that they needed to do um, programmatically and in terms of their capital, you know, structures. Um, uh, it was a it was really. I mean, that was the highlight of my time representing those schools. And I did that up until 2010 when I ran for the House. Uh, we certainly appreciate all you've done for us as far as HBCUs here in South Carolina. That I'm glad that you was able to share that and sh shed a light on the things that you've done um, in the past. Um, as far as joining our wonderful sorority, Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, what are some influence, um, what, what influenced you to join as well as how can we help you to make sure that we help you get into the, um, into, into being governor? That's a great question. Um, really what influenced me in terms of my uh, desire to pledge, and I pledged Theta Gamma at USC, um, was my mom. My, my mom pledged at North Carolina Central, and she mm -hmm. was the epitome of an Alpha Kappa Alpha woman. She mm -hmm. was um, beautiful inside and out. Very, uh, she she was uh, she did everything in excellence, and she was all about service. And mm -hmm. so, you know, growing up um, with with her, you know, teaching us how. Uh, how we needed to conduct ourselves and, and how we needed to address the challenges that we faced. I mean, it was a no-brainer. My dad was an alpha alpha man, mm -hmm. and my mom was an AKA. And um, I, I'm extremely proud of that. Uh, I'm, ex I'm always proud of the sisterhood uh, mm -hmm. that I have now with my, with my line sisters and all of my sisters. Uh, in the sorority, and you know, I worked extremely hard for Sarah Kamala Harris mm -hmm. um, when she first announced, and then when she was nominated uh, to to run as uh, vice president alongside Joe Biden. I just think you know we we have to do we have to be there for and with each other. I mean, that's what the right. sisterhood is all about. We're about service and sisterhood. Um, and, the, and, and just improving, not just where we are, but, but improving the lives of those who are coming behind us and, and those right. who are with us now. So, you know, it's, I, I couldn't be more excited. I'm not just excited about um, just what, I know AKAs bring to the table, but the, the divine nine, nine. I mean, we, all of us are working together in, in lockstep. I mean, we have, we can see, you know, we, we can see how far we've come and how far we haven't. And that's critical because I know it reminds me that I'm not in this by myself. Being someone who is and always has been vocal about the challenge that we face and, and about the disparities and the just the the lack of 
of attention that our issues uh, continue to get, not just here in South Carolina, but across the country. Those are things that we can change. We just have to be committed. Mm-hmm. We have to be engaged and we have to vote. <laughs> we, we have to vote um, and, and our votes have to be informed. We can't just, we can't afford to vote for people just because they're of a certain party or a certain race or, or even a certain sorority or fraternity. We have to know that people that we entrust our votes to um, are, that their vision and their values are in alignment with ours. And I say that to people all the time. Don't just vote for me because I'm black or because I'm a woman or because I'm a Democrat or because I'm an AKA. Vote for me because you see the fights that I've taken on, some of them single-handedly. And you know that I have the courage to stand alone and continue to fight for the people. But I can't do it by myself. And people, you know... I want all of your listeners and viewers to understand that. I am not in this race for governor by myself. I have all of you guys with me because your struggles are my struggles. And the things that we, uh, the challenges that we face, I mean, we face as a people. And so I'm committed to that, to to helping us overcome uh, those challenges and to move our state and everybody in it forward. I love it. Yeah, I, I love I it. Too. Yeah, I, I, I think that everything you just said was powerful. And that makes me really excited to move towards really some key issues that you've already been talking about and things that are going on, not just in South Carolina, but in the world. So, of course, we have to start with the one thing that has upended our, all of our lives, which is the COVID pandemic. COVID. And you have been really ardent about talking about COVID and about how Governor Henry McMaster has not been doing what he needs to do. And you recently released, you know, a plan that shows if you were governor, how you would handle the COVID pandemic. So I want you to walk us through that. Right. So exactly. (laughs) Our um, (laughs) the plan that I have, I mean, it's just it's it's science based of course, because I'm not a scientist, but I'm not a doctor either. So when I get sick, I go, I go to a doctor and I have to trust that that doctor has the knowledge and the expertise to help me get through whatever is ailing me. Um, for whatever reason, well, we know the reason, the, because of the politics at play. Henry McMaster is not willing to put the people of South Carolina above his politics. And that has cost at least 10,000 South Carolinians their lives already. And that number is only going to grow. Um, So I put forward a plan just last week that is based in science, grounded in science, of course, and common sense. I mean, these are things that we shouldn't even, these are like no brainers. I shouldn't even have had to uh, put them them in writing. These are things that we know we have to do if we want to get through this Delta variant that's wreaking havoc on our communities once again. I mean, we've been through the first round with COVID-19 and we've seen the devastation, Mm. especially when it comes to communities of color. So I'll just give you a few highlights of my plan. One is take the freaking federal money, okay? The federal government is sending all kinds of money to our state and the governor is sitting on it. 
because of his politics. He doesn't want to say, oh, I took money from Joe Biden. Oh, I took money from this plan that was, you know, Joe Biden's plan because it hurts his politics and it hurts his possibilities of, of getting reelected. He's not going to be reelected because I, in 2022, we're going to have a new governor and her name is Mia. So here's the deal. Take the federal money, not just the American money, but I hope that the infrastructure bill money will come into play. I mean, we've got the, the COVID-19 money and we've seen not just when it comes to vaccinations, but we've seen what he's tried to do with the CARES Act money that came to the state. I mean, he wanted to divert $32 million of that money to private schools so that people who look like us would not be able to benefit educationally when we know that communities like my hometown community are still struggling with no broadband or broad, you know, certain areas of, of, the, of these rural underserved counties don't even have broadband. And yet all of our kids were learning virtually um, for months throughout the pandemic. And then he's pushing people back into these spaces. I won't go into all of that, but in terms of the vaccination plan, take the money, the, the federal uh, money that's coming to the states. That's a no brainer. The other no brainer is I've gotten vaccinated. Have y'all gotten vaccinated for just about everything that was a, a, a contagious and deadly disease before you were able to go to school? Didn't you have to show proof of immunization mm -hmm. before right. that? Okay. My, I did. My boys did. My grandparents did. Their parents did. I mean, this has been a thing for our country for, for, for uh, decades. So why now are we having all this political resistance to vaccinations? And I get the, I get the distrust that communities of color have, especially communities of color. And I understand that. But the reality is, look at, if you think that that uh, your elected leaders are trying to bamboozle you into getting a vaccination that's gonna hurt you in the long run, look at what they're doing, because they're getting their families and friends vaccinated. They, In fact, they got their families and friends vaccinated first, before we even had access to the vaccinations. And I served in the South Carolina Senate, and I still had to wait because they were they were very deliberate and intentional about making sure that they got their people into those uh, uh, vaccination sites first. It, it's not rocket science. We see that the people who are dying disproportionately look like us. And I just want my people to be safe. I, I want them to be protected. I wouldn't tell them to do something that I haven't done. I've been vaccinated and we see with this Delta variant that, eat, that you know, that's not, that doesn't mean that we won't be exposed to the virus and that we can't, um, uh, that the, we can't, um, you know, pass the virus on to others, but it does significantly lessen our chances of getting severely sick or dying from the disease. Henry McMaster went out and got COVID knowing that his politics was going to help him get COVID because he refused to wear a mask. He refused to show any leadership. He went to the White House without a mask and went to all these mass gatherings, no mask. Got COVID, brought it back to South Carolina. And then guess what? He got the monoclonal antibody treatments to treat it and overcome it. We, The rest of South Carolina doesn't even have access
to that those treatments. So why would we not do what we can to protect ourselves and each other? I mean, it's just it's just a no-brainer for me. The the third thing that I would do is until we reach herd immunity in this state, which is 70% of our citizens being vaccinated, I would implement a statewide man uh, mass mandate like yesterday, because that is, I mean, these are just a few of the things that we can do. I would also um, create a, 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 a team of ombudsmen who are um, public health experts, community leaders, and public relations marketing strategists, because we need to get accurate information out to our people. And not, I, I'm not saying our people in terms of just black people. I mean, our people across South Carolina, every person in this state needs and deserves accurate information about this virus and what it can do. And until we have somebody who takes the lead and takes the initiative to make sure that that, that, that information is not only accessible, but disseminated um, to everybody statewide consistently to try and undo some of the harm that's already been done. I mean, you've got people here in our state who, who look like us and who don't, who don't believe that the virus is a real thing, who don't believe that, they're, that they can get it because of the color of their skin or don't believe that their family members can get it because they're a certain age or they've always, they've never gotten colds, they've never had a problem, they've never gotten the flu shot, never gotten the flu. I mean, y'all, we have got to, we have got to be, we've got to move and be in alignment with the science and what the public health experts are telling us is real because people are dying, whether we want to um, acknowledge that fact or not. And they are dying needlessly and senselessly because they don't have to. Um, and so I am doing everything within my power to make sure that everybody knows the truth about this virus, where they can get vaccinated, the importance of being vaccinated, not just to protect, if you don't care enough about yourself, there are people in your life that I'm sure you do care enough about. Do it for them because getting, a va getting yourself vaccinated protects your older family members who are still vulnerable to this, uh, to this virus. It protects it can help protect your younger family members. And I mean, just practice this, the safety protocols. So I would put people in place to make sure that the, the truth gets out and gets to everybody who is willing to accept it um, and, and that they have access to these vaccinations. But I think the, the critical pieces are that statewide mask mandate until we reach herd immunity. And that is something that the governor can do and should have done by now. And also um, making sure that our kids, 12 and under especially, are we're putting them back in schools and removing every protection that we can right now. I mean, this is what the governor is doing to our kids and to our families and our communities. Um, and it's just senseless. I would make sure that kids have to show, and parents, students have to show proof of that, proof of immunization before they can go back to school. I mean, these are just sensible, common sense um, uh, plans and approaches that, you know, I, I'm not sure why it has taken this long for 
for us to even talk about the things that that we know we need to be about. But it, but it is, and we have to work around this governor. We have to you know go around him to keep ourselves safe, and we have to actually look out for ourselves and each other because he's not going to do it. Wow, that that's a lot. To, that was that was a lot to unpack. You know, and you and you answered every question, including follow up questions that I had. So I think that's amazing. Drop the mic at this point. So I want to move on, um, and and we're going to end off. With, we're talking about HBCUs, and I'm going to toss to Maya for that. But I want to ask you about really voter suppression and really black black voter activation because we see after Georgia, I'm in Georgia right now. I voted I voted for for, for President Biden and, and Senator Ossoff and Senator Warnock. So, like, I know in Georgia, it has been a coordinated effort to get folks that look like me, that look like Maya, not to vote. So I know that around the nation, we've been seeing that as well. And you're currently a South Carolina senator. So, like, what's going on in in South Carolina around voter suppression? And have you factored factored into your strategy how you're going to deal with that going into the midterms? Yes, Um, I I am factoring that in, of of course. Um, We have not seen voter suppression efforts yet that are as uh, that are as overt as what we've seen in Georgia. Um, but they are coming. Uh, and and one of the things that I'm doing, well, I'll tell you about one of the things that I've done. Um, I introduced a bill recently and um, it would it would um, mandate that the state provide access and instructions to those who have completed their sentences. Um, As you know, in South Carolina, um, when uh, a person has completed his or her uh, incarceration, they are eligible to vote again. So what I think has been happening is that, you know, when people get out of prison, they don't know where to vote, how to vote. You know, things have changed drastically in terms of voting. So I thought it was important to um, make sure that we have some resources available to them at the time that they are released so that they know that the county, their county of residence, how how and where they need to vote. Um, and just to kind of bring them up to speed at, as to not just that their voting rights have been reinstated, but, you know, how to uh, how to uh, manage or navigate that that process because it's going to be very new to some of them. Uh, and I did meet some resistance from my Republican colleagues, but the thing about it was, and when I think about suppression efforts, they are subtle. Um, one of the things mm-hmm. that that they did was I got overwhelming support on the floor, right? So I had a colleague stand up and say, you know what, Senator, I realize what you're trying to do, and this is a good thing. Now, he's a Republican, so I'm no, I, I understand when he says it's a good thing, I know there's a, something's going on. So mm-hmm. he's like, and this is a good thing. And I'm like, oh, really? So he said, so I just made a technical amendment to your bill. He said, I uh, am offering a technical amendment to make sure that when these, um, when, when people who have served their sentences are going back to their counties of residence, the county actually instructs them on how to vote rather than the state doing it because it's different in each county. And I thought, oh, wow, didn't think about that. That's true. So 
adding that county piece would really be helpful. And I thought that that's all he did, but I was wrong. So after the bill passed overwhelmingly out of the Senate, oh no, I'm sorry, it got second reading in the Senate that day. Um, it didn't get automatic third reading, thankfully. Um, I looked at the bill when I got home and I thought, because what he said stood out to me, like, why would he try to help me? Because I know he's trying to suppress our vote. So why, you know, I needed to find what was go what else was going on. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't think he would, would lie about it because he said it openly on the floor. Well, guess what? He lied. Um, what it did was it, it did do that, everything he said, but it wasn't a technical amendment. It changed the whole bill. Yeah. And that bill got voted on, got second reading, overwhelmingly passed. Uh, I don't think anybody, I think it was unanimous. Um, so I don't know if the Republican caucus knew about what he did or if it was just him. But what he did was he required that not only would the person have to have served their sentence in full, which was already the law, that wasn't a concern, but they would have had to have paid their restitution in full before their voting rights would be restored. So basically he added a poll tax mm -hmm. to my bill. And um, if I had not caught it, it would have gone, it would have passed the, passed the Senate and gone over to the House and I'm mm -hmm. sure it would have passed overwhelmingly. And I would have gotten the credit for suppressing my own people's vote. People. Yeah. That is how meticulous and how focused we have to be and I use that example a lot now because that's something that just like just like what we're seeing with this, um, the proviso that allows our kids to go back to school, but but um, prevents the school districts from protecting them with a mask mandate. And these mm. are kids. These are students that are younger than 12. But a proviso was put into the budget this year by the House. The Senate never got to vote on it. On the, on the proviso specifically, I didn't even know it was in there. My caucus didn't know it was in there. And it is now the law that the schools in South Carolina cannot require masks for the students or teachers or anybody else going back to school. And it, it just removed so many of the protections that our mm -hmm. students and our teachers and our families need as we're about to send our kids back to school. But those are the things that they do they tack on little things here and there. And unless all of us are paying attention, and it's almost impossible to do that. I wouldn't have been paying attention that that was somebody else's bill. But because he said, I want to help you, <laughs> I've, I have learned from experience that when a Republican typically says that they want to help me do something, they're usually hurting me. Mm -hmm. uh, they may be helping me in one way, but they're hurting me on the back end. And I need to find out where that is. And that was the case with the bill that was a voter suppression bill for sure. And it was the case for this proviso that is wreaking havoc on all of our students that are about to go back to school. So when it comes to our voter suppression um, efforts, they aren't as, as I said, as overt as what happened in Georgia. Like we can still give people uh, something to eat and something to drink when they're in line. But they did fire, basically, or forced, I'm sorry, they didn't fire, they forced the uh, South Carolina elections director out of, of her job because she made voting safe um, for all of us last year with her recommendations. 
And, and so we see that they are doing things um, uh, to try and make sure that we don't have safe access uh, to be able to be able to vote. And I'm well aware of it. All of my colleagues are aware of it. And we are paying much closer attention so that we can cut those things off. I'm happy to say that I did write that wrong that was uh, placed on my bill and got him to change course because I called him on it. Um, mm -hmm. And my committee chair called him on it, who was also a Republican. So all of the Republicans aren't on the same page when it comes to those voter suppression efforts. And this is one, um, my committee chair for that particular uh, bill was in fact trying to help me. His colleague was not, and he called him out on it too. We got it corrected in the bill before it passed the Senate and it's now in the House. So those are some of the things that we can do, but the, the bigger thing, and, I, and this is it, the bigger thing is we have to educate and inform the electorate that these are the things that they are going to have to navigate around because some of these voter suppression tactics and, and efforts will pass because we don't necessarily have the numbers to, to stop them um, if they want to, if and when they choose to, to, to pass um, their voter suppression bills. But we have to engage, we have to inform our, the voters about how to navigate that space around it um, and still vote. I think that everything you said is so key and that's the reason why we've been doing this today and why we want to really get more politicians and more gubernatorial candidates, more mayoral candidates on the platform is because like people don't understand that as that's how politics works. Like a lot of folks, especially on the other side, they're trying to score political points and they try to do little moves that you got to peep and you're able to peep it and you, you got it squared away. And that's representation as well that you saw, Hey, this is going to hurt me. If it's hurting me, it's hurting my people. You were able to, to get it reversed. So I think that that's just amazing. And it goes into, you know, this last point about HBCUs. I'm going to toss to Maya about, um, you know, with us being an HBCU platform with HBCU Pulse, we want to make sure that HBCU students are politically active and politically aware. You know, you have a whole bunch of HBCUs here in Georgia. I'm a Fort Valley alum. We got out and we voted and we turned Georgia blue. So we want to see other, especially HBCU-centric states such as South Carolina, do the same thing. And I want to shout out the HBCUs in South Carolina, Benedict College, Claflin University, South Carolina State University, Allen University, Voorhees College, Morris College, Denmark Technical College, and Clinton College. So I want to just do that, and I want to toss to Maya to end out the interview about really HBCU advocacy and how HBCU students can help your campaign. Right. So there are eight phenomenal HBCUs in, in our wonderful state of South Carolina. What are some, do you have any plans as far as within your campaign efforts geared towards HBCU institutions? And if so, how can student leaders help um, help you in your candidacy? Yes, <laughs> I absolutely need and want all of my HBCU family members to be engaged and informed and connected to my campaign because it is historic. Um, and I, I am definitely going to need the help. Right now, we are focused primarily on fundraising, but in the very near future, we will be reaching out to people like you, Maya, people like you, um, Randall, to, 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 to make sure that we get, um, we get with the, the, our sororities and fraternities on campus, but also just our HBCU 
um, leaders to, to, so that they can uh, build the coalitions of support within their colleges and universities that will help us. And we know that we're all working together on the same page. Um, I'm not sure yet when we will start that effort, but I would love to, uh, I would encourage anybody who wants to be a part of our campaign to go to miaforsd.com and volunteer, sign up to volunteer. That way I know that we will have you, have your name um, in, in our database to make sure that we can reach out to you at the appropriate time when we, when we do start those efforts. And that's gonna be coming up relatively soon, but it takes money to do all of this stuff. So I am on the phones constantly trying to raise money um, from uh, all of the folks in my, in my network and outside of my network who want to give to uh, a Democrat that they know, or a candidate rather, that they know will fight um, for them and, and that they know is serious about the issues that matter to all of us. So that would be my, you know, that would be my ask is that, and I had a great call recently with Stacey Abrams about where my focus should be and how to engage because I saw what she and so many others were able to do in Georgia. And we had a great conversation about that. So I do have, we are getting those plans in place. Um, we will have a strong ground game and we will have a strong outreach uh, and engagement um, uh, program because that is, that's key. Like I can't, I know that I can't do this by myself and I want my uh, campaign to look like the future of this state. And, and that's, that's y'all. That, that is, those are the college students and, and the folks who are, you know, thinking about the future for their families. And, you know, it hurts my heart to hear my son. My son went to Colorado State University and um, doesn't want to come back here. He's like, mom, mm -hmm. there's nothing for me in South Carolina but family. Um, and that is one of the key parts of my platform because we will continue to lose y'all if we don't right this wrong right now. And I'm committed to doing that. And that begins with engaging the people that I'm trying to help. Um, so I need you. I need you on Team Mia for SC. I need you engaged. I need for you to tell me about the issues that matter to you. I know some of them, of course, but I, I, I probably don't know them all. Um, I need for you to give me some ideas and solutions about how we can move this state forward together and make sure that everybody in it has 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 a future and, and has a state that they can be part of and proud of. So that, in a nutshell, is, um, a, you know, a great question and a great opportunity for me to to invite anybody who wants to be a part of this movement, because that's what it is. Everywhere I go, people are excited and energized because I don't look like everybody else who's run for governor. I don't act like everybody else who's run for governor. I don't sound like everybody else who's run for governor. And that's because my journey has been different. My experience has been different. And I bring a unique set of, of differences and, and a unique set of experiences to this journey and, and to this, uh, to this uh, race. So, I am excited to have all of the support and the engagement and, and the energy um, that, that I can muster. Uh, and I would love to have anybody who wants to join us, 
please go to Mia for SC and and just you know sign up to volunteer if you can contribute. Uh, I don't care if it's five dollars. Invest, invest in us. We need you. We need your support, and um, we want you to be a part of this campaign. Amazing. And I think that's wow. key because HBCU students, they're game winners. We see it in Georgia. We've right. seen it historically. And I want to say this before we go, especially with Maya on the call, because I definitely want Maya to connect with you and your campaign to really get Benedict College involved. But in general, I want to see SGA presidents. I want to see SGA governance and rural court members that are involved in your campaign because that's how you win. Because you have these right. future political leaders that are on these HBCU campuses, and we see one in Vice President Kamala Harris. She was a part That's of SGA right. at Howard University. Yeah. So you have right. like the next vice president, probably the next president, the next governor, the next mayor that's on these campuses that are able to uplift and help you reach the mark. So I, I definitely you know, can't wait to see what you do with HBCUs. And we're definitely here because we want to get more HBCU students connected. But outside of that, we really appreciate you for coming on. Do you have any final words? Thanks for having me. I, I, um, I so enjoy, uh, I so enjoy this and, um, just, the, just the ability to, to engage and, um, with my people. It's always, it's always a pleasure. It's always a plus. And I look forward to more of that. Uh, I am looking forward to a time when we have the funds to, to, to really, you know, get out and do all that, that we know we can and should be doing. And I can do that, girl. So please come and, you know, be a part of this campaign. We are going to make history in 2022. Uh, that process is already underway and I need you. I want you on, on our team uh, and we're going to change the state. Most and when we, change, when we change South Carolina, we're going to change the South. Oh, it's, it's already starting, Georgia. That's a statement. We, hey, we, 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 we did it in Georgia. Georgia is blue. We just got to get it locked down. We're not going to let water suppression stop us. And and also, we have one more thing we have to do. We, we're going we're gonna to get me for South Carolina in the governor's spot, but we have to get Stacey Abrams in, too. So I know in Georgia, Absolutely. we got some work to do as well. So, you know, you had that Absolutely. call. Let, 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 you know, let, let Stacey Abrams know that HBCU falls. We're going to get it back in there. We, we got, we, we, we coming for it. All right. We're gonna, we let, right. gonna let Kim know that. But once again, yeah. thank you so <laughs> much for coming on. We really appreciate you and we wish you the best of luck in your work yeah. on this campaign. And thank you for your work in your position as Senator. Thanks for having me. Tap, tap, tap in. You're listening to Post Radio with Randall and Shelby, the heart of the culture.